Good morning, church. So I went around to a Sunday school class this morning. I asked them the question because I'm not going to say that they're older than me, but they were older than me. And I said, listen, I know we're not supposed to say Happy Memorial Day. That's redundant. Or an oxymoron. That doesn't make sense. Happy Memorial Day. So what do we say? Well, have an honorable Memorial Day. Have a reverent, respectful Memorial Day. What does that mean? We keep this in mind. John 15, 13. No one has greater love than this to lay down his life for his friends. We remember, we respect, we honor those in uniform that didn't come back home. But let's understand the freedom they provide is temporary. The freedom that Jesus Christ provides by laying down His life is eternal. Live in reference. Live in respect. Live in honor of Jesus Christ. Now, having said all that, let's go ahead after 20 weeks. Boy, it sure is nice to say, let's go ahead and switch gears today. If you've got your Bible, we're going back to the Old Testament book of Jonah. Jonah is the fifth of the Old Testament prophets. And as I'm studying, as I'm praying, as I'm trying to have my spiritual antenna up as to the direction of which God is leading us next, after we've spent this time evaluating ourselves, evaluating where we are as a church by going through that first letter of the Corinthians as we had, it was clear that now we can switch gears, shift our focus to the majesty and the undeserved grace of God. This is what we will find, sometimes multiple times, in every single chapter within the book of Jonah. Now, Jonah, believe it or not, comes with a little bit of controversy. But after coming out of 1 Corinthians, you guys ought to say, bring it on. We're used to all that controversial stuff. We hit it head on. And it should not scare us that this has a little bit of controversy because the controversy really centers around, is this story a parable or is it history? Did it actually happen? Or is this just a story, a narrative told, passed down through the, ter- through the words of the Bible? And, and i got to be honest with you, we're not going to definitively settle the issue, settle the debate one way or the other, but we are going to pull out a few of the details that I believe help points it towards it being an actual history. And don't be so shocked and in awe that a former history teacher is going to say, hey, we're going to claim this as a history. Okay, now, anyways, the first piece of evidence before we even get down into the text, we've got to understand that all of the prophets of the Old Testament are viewed as history. So why then would it make sense, because it wouldn't, for them to stick in a parable amidst all of the other prophets of the Old Testament when we know the times that these prophets were in, where they ministered to, the kings that they served under, the kingdoms that were around them. It is the same for Jonah. But before we get too far ahead, we're going Jonah chapter 1, and we're just going to read the first six verses. Here we go. The word of the Lord 
came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Get up! Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because their evil has come up before me. Jonah got up to flee to Tarshish from the Lord's presence. He went down to Joppa, found a ship going to Tarshish. He paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish from the Lord's presence. But the Lord threw a great wind onto the sea, and such a great storm arose on the sea that the ship threatened to break apart. The sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his God. They threw the ship's cargo into the sea to lighten the load. Meanwhile, Jonah had gone down to the lowest part of the vessel and had stretched out and fallen into a deep sleep. The captain approached him and said, What are you doing? Sound asleep! Get up! Call to your God. Maybe this God will consider us and we won't perish. Let's pray together. Lord, we recognize You are good. You are mighty. You are majestic. Father, that means we also recognize we are not. Move us, Lord, according to Your Word, for Your glory, for the advancement of Your kingdom here on earth. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Now our text begins with God's call on Jonah's life. The story starts with the most important character. It begins with the understanding that it is the Almighty, the One who is setting the stage for what is about to take place, putting all of the right players in line. And I know that sounds like the giant, well, duh, statement as if there ever was one, but we forget oftentimes that in our day-to-day -day life, it is God who is the One who is in charge. We see the same that is established here, but then immediately after we are introduced to the central human of the story as well. The one that God called to carry out this grand initiative. He is called Jonah, son of Amittai, presenting him as a person, as a son of a father, a real person going right in line with where Jonah is mentioned in 2 Kings chapter 14. He is called, he is pointed out during the time of King Jeroboam. You don't have to turn there, but this is what 2 Kings 14 says. He restored, he, Jeroboam, restored Israel's border from Lebohamoth as far as the Sea of Arabah. According to the word, the Lord, the God of Israel, has spoken through his servant, the prophet Jonah, son of Amittai, from Gath Hefer, 2 Kings 14, 25. What's the point of reading all that and all those big words that nobody understood? And how am I connecting this back to Jonah? God called a man, a man who had a dad, who has a background, who came from a geographical location, and there's evidence of him in other historical works that are also mentioned in the Bible. These details are not typically something that you find in a parable. These are things that you find in a history. For all you history people that don't like names and places, well, there you go. It's helping to prove the Bible. Now, I'm not salty about that at all. Verse 2, it tells us 
where he is called, where he is called to go to, the city of Nineveh. Well, Nineveh caused some issues for us as well. We didn't really know where it was. It was a mystery too. But here's what's neat. The city of Nineveh, only about a century after we believe this time took place, it was completely demolished by the Babylonians. Now, once the Babylonians get done with it, it is completely gone. It is completely ransacked. There is nothing left of it. And it was not until 1845 that an excavation took place right around the Tigris River. If you know your Middle Eastern geography, the Tigris and Euphrates River, there was an excavation that took place there and they found remnants of what we know as the city of Nineveh. It's located in current day Iraq. So we have a man who had a father who came from a real place and God called him to go to a geographic location as well. And who are these people, the Ninevites? Even though we know where they are, it doesn't mean that we know who they are. But if we take this timeline that we have, if, if Jonah serves under King Jeroboam, okay, we have about a 30-year gap of his reign from 770 till 740 of the common era before Jesus. And these people in Nineveh, the Ninevites, would have been part of the Neo-Assyrian Empire. Okay, so now if you know your ancient civilizations, these guys were the raddest, baddest bunch of people this side of the Mongols. They are the ones that we consider to be the first and the strongest military might that had been in the world at that time. They had chariots. They had infantry. They had cavalry usage. They used all these things that no other organized army had at that time. And buddy, once they captured you, let me tell you, they had the cruelest, nastiest, most treacherous types of torture that they could use on a person. And they were going to make sure that you knew they were in charge, that they were the ones in control. They would even use psychological warfare and they would advertise when they were getting ready to invade someplace because they knew the people would be shaking in their boots by the time they got there. That's who the Neo-Assyrians were. That's a bad group of people. They were the bad boys on the block. But during this same 30 to 40 year window of history that we're looking at, do you know what they're experiencing at the time? A low point. They're going through the worst stretch that they've had in almost a thousand years up to this point. At any given time during this time where we know Jonah would be, where we know Jonah is called to, they're dealing with famine, outside wars and conflicts. They're dealing with rebellion on the inside. They were vulnerable. So God calls Jonah. And even though God calls Jonah to preach against their evil, Maybe, just maybe, Jonah had enough knowledge of who these people were that when God says, Jonah, go and preach to the Assyrians that are in Nineveh, well, maybe this is what makes Jonah a little hesitant to answer the call. God, I don't want to go to those people. Verse 3 even kind of reads that way. From the way that it reads, God tells Jonah the plan, and what seemingly is immediately, Jonah says, deuces, I'm out of here, and I go somewhere else because I'm not going where God called me to. He says, God, ain't nobody got time to preach to no Assyrians. God, don't you know what they do to these people? And listen, you want me to preach against them? God, you must be outside your mind if you think that that's what I'm going to do. 
So I want you guys to look at something real fast. I've got a map, okay? And I want you to check it out. Where the little dot is, okay, is the place where Joppa is. This is where Jonah gets on a boat. Now first, let's look towards this side. We see Nineveh from about where Jonah would be. It's about 500. I've seen 500. I've seen 550 miles. You see it up there. You get the idea. To the north and to the east of where Jonah is. That's where God says go. So what does Jonah do? He says, no, God. Not only am I not going to go there, but I'm going to hop on a boat and I'm going as far as I possibly can to the west in the complete opposite direction, totally distant, totally different from what you have called me to do. Folks, get this picture. I know you're looking at a map. Some of you probably don't even know what countries are located there. Don't worry about that because what you're looking at is a picture of sin. God says one direction and you go the other. That's sin. That's sin. It's not the distance that makes it a sin. In action to what God has said makes it sin. Look at me. If Jonah had even just stayed put, it would still be sin. But he takes off. And in verse 4, we get our but God. But God, guess what? God is coming after Jonah. And I think of verse 4 almost like a moment in the book of Job. Bear with me on this. Jonah thinks, I can escape to the sea in this little bitty rinky-dinky boat going across the Mediterranean and I can get away from what God is doing. But what Jonah doesn't understand is that the one who created the resources that put together that little rinky-dink ship is the one that's coming after him. The one that created the sea that he's sailing on is the one that's coming after him. The one that controls the weather the storm that's going to happen and happen at the exact right time, that's the God that's coming after Jonah. Jonah, you ain't got a shot, big boy. How bad was the storm? The ship was almost torn apart. Literally, when it says threatened in the text, it means that the ship was thinking about tearing apart. Verse 5, we get to see that it actually gets the attention of the pagan sailors on board the ship. Man, they are shaking in their boots, not knowing what to do, and it actually prompts them to pray. Now, they don't know who they're praying to or what they're praying to, but it prompts them to pray. Now, forgive me. When I was reading through this and studying it, it may or may not have made me think of Ricky Bobby and Talladega Nights. Not that I've ever seen the movie. But when Ricky Bobby has a wreck and you start seeing him run around the racetrack going, help me God, help me Jesus, help me Jewish God, help me all help me Tom Cruise cast his spell on the witchcraft on this thing, help me Oprah Winfrey. He doesn't know who he's praying to, but he's just praying for something to happen. This is what these poor pagan guys are doing on the ship. They don't know what they're doing. They don't know what they're doing. And that's supposed to be funny, but here's what's worse. God clearly gets the attention of the Gentile pagan sailors who are not totally sure of what's going on. 
All they know is they're in danger. And Jonah's sound asleep. Jonah, the one called by God, the one who is part of God's chosen people, spiritually, physically asleep, completely unaware of what God is trying to do. Again, you have the physical location of Jonah traveling in the opposite direction, deep in the deepest part of the ship, and his physical posture of him being physically asleep. All are symbols of his spiritual backslide. At this point, Jonah's done all that he could to leave God. And what has he developed? A callousness to God's Word. Can't hear God anymore. He quit listening. He tuned it out. Now he can't hear. Even when God is seemingly smacking him in the face, physically shaking where he is at, Jonah can no longer hear God. Still unaware of what God is doing. But here's what we know. Don't miss this. Jonah might have thought he could leave God, but God never left Jonah. <laughs> Amen? Verse 6, finally, we have the slightest breakthrough, and it's not even a really good one, but it comes from the captain of the ship. We are, If you're still under the belief, listen to me, if you're still under the belief that God is limited on who He can use to influence us in our spiritual lives, you need to pay attention and listen up. Because God used a pagan ship captain to go down to the deepest part of that boat, get to Jonah, and start smacking him upside the head to wake him up so that he would know what was going on. God used a pagan ship captain to wake up a rebellious prophet. And in my eyes, there is no coincidence whatsoever that when the captain wakes him up, what, does, what language does the captain use? He uses the exact same language that God used back in verse 1. He tells Jonah, get up! Get up and start praying! Jonah had to be called to pray to God, to cry out to God by a pagan. But God used him nonetheless. The ESV even points out, notice the distinction between the pagan captain and Jonah. The pagan is more concerned with people, more concerned with the lives of those on the ship than Jonah is concerned with the lives of those in Nineveh. Can I say that again? The pagan captain is more concerned with life that is on his ship, those men, Jonah's not concerned at all about the people in Nineveh. Otherwise, he would have gone. Let me ask you this real fast. In our world, in our culture that we've been talking about for this entire semester, does the lost world do more to care for people than the church does? Stew on that for a minute. Now, Still, Jonah 2,500 miles-ish from the physical place where God wants him to be. He's asleep, unaware of what God is doing, callous to the safety and to the needs of other people, living in willful disobedience, 
living in the deepest part of the ship, and still, as bad as it is, Jonah still hadn't hit rock bottom yet. He's still got further to go. And obviously, just through these six verses, it leaves us on a little bit of a cliffhanger. But that's where we stop the text today because we must assess some of these spiritual attitudes that we pick out from this text. There's three different attitudes we've got to look at, okay? Now, the first, let's look at Jonah's attitude. Jonah's overall attitude is the go down and flee attitude. The go down and flee attitude. Here's some characteristics of it. It's easy. It's a decision that you or I make when we feel like following God is going to be less beneficial. We're going to go down and flee. We're going to try and hide under the radar because I don't see how that's going to work out the way that benefits me the most. Then we just decide to check out on God. Maybe God won't notice too much and God will be real quick to just pick somebody else and I'll just take the next assignment. That's a go down and flee attitude. The go down and flee attitude is also comfortable. It's cushy. It feels good. You don't have to ruffle any feathers. You don't have to rock any boats. You don't have to have any uncomfortable conversations whatsoever. It's very well intentioned. We're not intentionally going out of our way to harm or offend or hurt anybody. And guess what? That's exactly where the devil wants us to be. We can even fool ourselves. Get this. We can even fool ourselves into thinking that we are following God simply because we follow a routine. We can fool ourselves into thinking I'm following God, I'm doing just what I'm supposed to do because I'm operating in this same routine that we've created in our mind and we call it worship. But if we're not following God's call, if we are not following God's command, if we are not following God's Word, then my friend, you're attending church, you're reading your Bible, and your singing is hollow and fake and is not worship to the Almighty God at all. What's so sad is we can fool ourselves into thinking this is worship. But as we saw in the story, there's nowhere to run and nowhere to hide from God. The attitude of go down and flee means that sin is present. Sin must be recognized, confronted, and terminated with extreme prejudice, if you know what I'm saying. Well, God, Kyle, that sounds awfully harsh. Why are we going to have to say things like that? Well, let's think about it. Jonah was a Hebrew. Check. He was called by God. Check. He was called by God to be on mission for God, to be a part of God's plan for the salvation of the Ninevites. And he disobeyed to the point that he couldn't even hear God anymore. You tell me what's too harsh about that. Jonah needs a wake-up call. When a spiral starts, and it gets further and further, deeper and deeper, something drastic must intervene, must get in its way in order for the spiral to start. And in our spiritual sense, we call that repentance. We recognize that we've already missed the mark. 
But if Jonah is on that ship and he's already going 2,500 miles in the opposite direction of where God wants him to, just because he sits there and recognizes, you know what, I'm headed in the wrong direction, but he still keeps going on the same boat unless the goober gets off that boat and starts going in the other direction, it doesn't do him any good. And he's still not following God. Repentance is drastic. Repentance. Recognizing that we have violated the relationship between us and the majestic, sovereign God, then we must turn towards Him in surrender. And that repentance, if I can say it right, then that repentance mindset can kickstart our second attitude, our second point, is the get up and go. You've got the go down and flee, but here's the get up and go attitude. What does a get up and go attitude look like? Well, guess what? It proves to be extremely difficult. Whereas that go down and flee attitude was so easy, so comfortable, this one is extremely difficult. It's potentially putting oneself in harm's way. It might even have a chance to be life-threatening. This is what Jonah's call was to the Ninevites. It goes against the mainstream. It goes against popular culture. The idea of a get-up-and-go mindset doesn't look to be too comfortable because if you get to be too comfortable, then those that are constantly trying to get against you, fight against you, and hurt and ruin your spirituality to disrupt what you're doing, they're going to be able to. The get-up-and-go mindset is vigilant. It's ready to go at a moment's notice. Well, that's a great sales pitch, isn't it? Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Christianity, where it's going to be difficult, where you're going against the mainstream, where it's not going to be very comfortable. And be careful because you've constantly got a target on your back. Come see us at church, Grace Baptist Church, 930 and 11. But I hate to tell you, but John 16, Jesus tells us this is what we're called into. He says, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. You will have suffering in this world. Well, if we just look at the first half of that verse, golly, that's terrible. But suffering is a promise. And thank God, Jesus doesn't say, guess what, you're going to have suffering in this world. Then He shoes us on the way, pats us on the panty and says, go get them. That's not where He ends it because the second half of that text says this. He says, be courageous because I have conquered the world. Amen? Be courageous because I, Jesus, have conquered the world. Yes, following God in obedience will prove to be more difficult and tougher, but when we are following God, when we are doing as God asks, when we are going where God leads, then we are told there will be peace in the midst of the suffering. To piggyback off of John 16, one of my favorite quotes from Corey Ten Boom, and we've got it. We're going to put it on the screen for you. Corey Ten Boom says this the safest place to be, go ahead. There we go. The safest place to be is in the center of God's will. That means when you're in the midst of the battle, when you're in the midst of the storm, the peace of God will be greater than the fire that we face. We can endure because He's the one that gives us strength. Because He is in control. 
God knew the right time to send the Assyri to send Jonah to the Assyrians because they were going to be vulnerable. God knew the right location for Jonah to go. God even knew that Jonah would say no, and He picked him anyways. Amen. So what does that give us? That last one. Third thing, it gives us a glimpse of grace. These first six verses, primarily a highlight of the disobedience of Jonah, but we can't look just at that at its own. We, if we do that, we, turn, we know that he turned away from God, but we're not focused on God. Then we're just focused on Jonah. But it doesn't mean that we do not get a clear picture of the character of God just in those six verses. As Jonah basically told God, no, it didn't stop God from pursuing Jonah. Now Jonah, remember, I say it again, prophet of Israel, he is supposed to be the righteous. Jonah, supposed to be a picture of the righteous, God's chosen people, the one that he's already shown grace to, one of God's people. It's comforting that God calls his people. It's good for us to know that. We look for that. But often in the text, we leave out this real highlight. He wants Jonah to reach the unrighteousness. He wants Jonah to reach the dirty, nasty, uninhabited, unindoctrinated, not knowing the difference between a pagan God and the real God. The people of Nineveh represent the most horrid, the most treacherous, the most pagan people on the face of the earth. And that's exactly where God wants Jonah to go. He wants Jonah to be his vessel to salvation to the unrighteous. It's common. And we do this way, way, way far too often where we want to make ourselves the subject of whatever story that we are reading. We always want to be the David against the Goliath. We want to be the Joseph and walk around with a really cool coat that has a lot of colors on it. We want to be the Esther or the Ruth. But in reality, we are way, way, way far from it. And we should rejoice in the story of Jonah because it's a whole lot easier to associate us as Ninevites than it is to anybody else in the story when we were at our most wicked, when we were at our most wretched, when we were our farthest away from God, even unaware that God exists, God still pursued us as unrighteous and sent Jesus to die for our sins. That was better. Good job. Okay. So with that attitude, believer, knowing that we once were lost, knowing that we were pursued, and now we are found. Shouldn't that make us more appreciative of the grace that we've been given? Shouldn't that give us more desire to obey and do what God asks us to do? Do you need an easy way to obey God? I'll go ahead and give you an example. Find someone who's lost and share with them the excitement of the grace that you've been given and you've found. How great is this grace? God can even use out-of-the-ordinary ways for the grace to get to you. Harking back to that captain again, God can use anybody or anything to bring us back into the fold. It's a matter of obedience for us to listen and follow. So question for you, are you running from God? Are you to a point where it is difficult for you to hear God more than likely as a result of your own disobedience? Would you ask God to show you? 
give you an analysis of your current spiritual posture or your current relationship with Him. And then I want to double on top of that. Are you being honest with yourself? Are you actually having an active relationship with God? Or is church something that you do as a routine? In two weeks, we're going to have a baptism. And you're going to hear the story of someone that was just going through the motions until he surrendered. Finally, he recognized the weight of his sin. That he'd not been living in obedience of God because he was separated from God. And he let go. Recognizing that God was in control. And he wanted Jesus Christ to have full control of his life. That's up and coming. For now, I'm going to ask Mark and the band to come on up. And I want to ask you another one. Are you here and you need to let go? Are you here and you must surrender to God? Surrender to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Just as my friend did, do you admit, do you know that you are a sinner? That you have gone in the opposite direction of where God wants you to? Do you recognize that the only way back to God is through a relationship with Jesus Christ who lived, died, and resurrected for our sins so we could be reconciled back to God? And do you wish to commit to following, your, to following God for the rest of your life with your life? giving Him Lordship. If you've got questions on that, if you're unsure of what that means, if you don't know what would happen if you met God today, would He say, welcome home? Or would He say, depart from me because I never knew you? I'll be right here on the front row. Come find me if you've got questions on that. Or, are you here? You are as sure as you're sitting here that you have a relationship, but that relationship has grown stale, it has grown callous, and it is because of your own disobedience. These altars are open. It's time for us to be real with God. Quit going through the motion. Quit playing church and begin surrendering so that we may hear what God is calling us to do and we may be obedient to follow. That is true worship. That begins with repentance. Let's pray. God, thank You for the story of Jonah. Even though we only read six verses, and this is one of those, it seems, every quote-unquote churchgoer knows the rest of the story, but there's still so much we don't know. Thank You, God, that You pursue the unrighteous. That while I was dead in my sins, Christ died for me so that I could live eternally. I pray in the name of Jesus that anyone here that does not understand that, that does not have the blessed assurance of knowing that, that Lord, they would surrender. Surrender in obedience to follow You. Thank You, God, for that promise. Forgive us, Lord, where we go through the motion, where we go through the routine, not expecting that You have something better for us. 
Not expecting that our get-up-and-go attitude, even though it may be difficult in this world, it comes with it the peace that surpasses all understanding. Help us, Lord, to hear You again, to follow You in obedience. Father, it begins with repentance. Help us to turn away from whatever path we may be on that is taking us away from You. Drastically intervene, God, so we will make drastic behavior differences and follow in obedience. Lord, we can do none of this apart from You. We recognize now we need You in this moment. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much for listening to Grace Baptist Cartersville podcast. If you would like more of Grace Baptist Cartersville, make sure you check out our GBC Young Adults podcast. Also, make sure to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and our services on YouTube.